Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Fellow at UC Riverside, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, Dr. Parks. Third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Diem Nguyen. Hi, Diem. Hi, Dr. Parks. And second year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. How are you doing, Dr. Parks? Good. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, uh, part of our shelter in place, we're all recording at home. On today's show, we're going to talk about the mental health of frontline medical pr professionals, uh, doctors, uh, medical students, nurses, that kind of thing. Um, mostly, primarily, we're going to really focus on um, doctors and also just the um, where the anxiety and mental health stresses are coming from. And I encourage people to kind of share their own personal experiences as well as uh, what they've noticed with their colleagues. I feel that that's you know good insight. Um, but you know what? I, I want to just kind of give a shout out to my counseling and psychological services place where I work because we're going to have an open house for those folks that can attend, and we're going to have a Zoom meeting. You can go to um, you can go to to our website at counseling.ucr.edu, and then you can find information about our open house. It's going to be May thirteenth. It's going to be a Zoom meeting. You can log on if you'd like, and you can find out about our services. So please do that. But I, I want to get the ball rolling because, um, but on a different, a completely different and depressing note, because this was the shockwave that was sent when uh, Dr. Lorna Breen completed suicide mm -hmm. uh, in late April of this year. She was someone that treated COVID-19 patients. And that was a wake-up call for a lot of folks. And then since that time, there's been a call to increase services um, identify problems of medical professionals and doctors and things like that. So, uh, does anyone has anyone done? Would anyone like to say something about that? You know, you being medical doctors, uh, about that, about how it's affected you. Maybe some more information that you have about that. So I can start by just sharing yeah, briefly Edgar. what happened with Dr. Brand. So this happened recently. It was you know posted initially at the New York Times, and the title was "Top ER Doctor Who Treated Virus Patients Dies by Suicide." So. She was 49 years old. She worked at the New York Presbyterian Allen Hospital, and one of the hardest hit by COVID. And I think this, what happened is um, she, she was the top doctor in the ED. She might even have been, the, have been the, the director. And she initially actually tested positive with COVID and recovered after a week and a half, you know, went back went back to work, but then she was let go after that and ended up with her family in Virginia. So I think this took by surprise that she completed suicide to everybody, including her father, Dr. Philip Brand. And she, he just even told the media that the, uh, Dr. Brand, Dr. Lorna Brand, described to him the devastating scenes of the toll that the coronavirus took on patients. And she seemed different, like detached, describing that patients were unfortunately dying, you know, even before they would get out of the ambulances. So, of course, uh, the Presbyterian Columbia New York Hospital uh, Administration, you know, on the communication, they 
that, that she's a hero who brought the highest ideals of medicine to the challenging prone lines of the emergency department. And it's unfortunate that, you know, things have been revolving since the COVID pandemic in many ways. There's people talking about the outcomes in the future and now of mental health, but also in the healthcare workers. And there was another story also that two well, can I, wait, can I can I interrupt you a little bit? Now, when you said um, they that she was let what let go, what did that mean? Let go. That's what I was wondering too. Do we know anything about why she was let go? She was let go, like fired, let go. No, no, no. I think she might like she came back and people realized, and I don't think they say what happened. But from what I read, what I understood is that maybe people noticed that she was too stressed or something, and that's where she was maybe put on leave or something they don't really say what happened okay so that out of respect really okay right yeah, re- right. respect for the family they want to keep some privacy okay yeah okay i don't think that yeah there's sorry many to details for <laughs> privacy <laughs> yeah right no that's which i understand from the family right and there was another even two days before that there was a, a bronx emt john mandela who also mm-hmm. ended up i think fatally shooting himself um mm-hmm. with a gun that you know it was in the family or somehow and also, this was the believers just because witnessing, you know, how devastating has been corona, the coronavirus in New York. Yeah. Um, can, can I, I say something? Can yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Well, I just want to say, like, you're right. I think this was the point where people were taking a look more closely at the mental health of physicians, um, which is a good thing. It's just like, uh, it's just like so many other you know, times in society when a tragedy sparks conversation and then hopes and then a lot of times nothing happens. I mean, there are some things that, you know, are being talked about as, uh, like, for instance, um, I read that this week on Tuesday, the Democrats proposed a bill to forgive student loan debt for frontline healthcare workers, which is great, but I mean, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. So, you, uh, yeah, as far as like re- reliability, they, there needs to be some sort of follow through with some of this aid that that we want to give to these folks. It can't be just all lip service. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, my point. What I was I was gonna um, say is that you know there were studies after the SARS outbreak that when you recovered from SARS, because she said you said that she had she got COVID nineteen and then recovered, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I know that that there was research af- um, after people got SARS, they were at a they were vulnerable to anxiety and on um, the psychological impact and there was a trauma reaction from just having mm-hmm. SARS and you know and there's some you know there's a, there was a theory that was um, kind of spec the speculation about that you know did this affect her um, uh, somehow biologically or did it affect her thinking or um, did it would it make her more susceptible to these mood issues which there does seem to be some evidence that that possibly could be the case and, and yes, uh, there actually was another follow-up kind of like uh, interview with the Dr. Brent's sister and brother-in-law where they actually just said the same thing. The virus impacted her brain in negative oh, ways. Oh, there you go. Right. There you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, whether if it's biologically, it's something on your brain chemistry, increased depression, increased anxiety, trauma, and then the fact that, you know, you go back to, again, to the front line and seeing the same, you know, uh, kind of like just devastating outcomes of COVID. I think that it was a, probably a combination of all that. The long hours, 
all and the other quarantine too. She she had to quarantine herself. Like we right. talked about in a previous episode that that is traumatic. I think right now there are a lot of questions yeah. where that there are no easy answers to. Um, and I really, I think I really feel the article, what struck me the most was like how much the grief there was, I think in her family and the questions that they're asking. Um, they, I think they made a point of pointing out that she had no prior, um, like known mental illness. They made a point, right. made a point in the article about saying like, you know, she tried her best for patients and she wanted to be known as a hero. Um, oh boy. and that I think is it, there's a lot of questions that we don't have an answer to. Did, did she have a predisposed like mental illness that isn't discussed? I think that's also one of the things that, you know, I don't, I think anybody who's been through medical school will say it's traumatizing <laughs> and you don't leave it without like some feeling like you've gone into like some kind of battle. Um, and I, think there are repercussions with that. And then you enter a system that is that can be overwhelming. Keep I think we have to keep in mind this isn't a medical student, this isn't a resident, this is a medical director. She's been through like wow, all man. the path and she's attained like the delayed gratification that like we're all been working for. Um, That's why it sent such shockwaves because she was a director and she had been through a lot already. What happened where she could get to that point? That really shocked people. That's one of the like the most like, yeah, the most pressing questions that we should be asking ourselves. Like, why? What pushed her to this point? Why now? She's been through yeah. so much. I think what we're seeing is like the chronic fatigue of just everyday uh, life for physicians and then on top of that seeing coronavirus just expounding all of those stressors um in terms of you know um hospital abuse systemic abuse those types of things um this need to be uh perfect this need to be to save every single one of their patients and focusing on the one patient that they can't save that sort of thing um I, this disease has um, been so unique in that it's so widespread, so it's hitting everyone at the same time, and, and you know, it's overwhelming hospital centers at the same time, and we don't know enough about it, so we feel very helpless in this situation compared to other things that could be, you know, where we have medications, we have things to treat, and we feel like we can do something. In this situation, we feel helpless. Um, but I mean, just to talk about the situation leading up to coronavirus, like what, uh, what the status was of mental health among medical professionals. Um, I saw a, um, statistic on U in USA Today saying that 400 physicians commit suicide each year. Um, and doctors die by suicide at more than twice the rate of the general population. And that's actually the highest of any profession. That's from the New York Times. So this was before wow. coronavirus happened. And then there's so much literature out there about burnout, which is, uh, you know, like the, the hot topic over the last, what, like five, ten years in medicine. Um, and there's lots of different definitions about uh, of, for burnout. I think we've talked about burnout before on this podcast, I'm sure, right? Um, but different 
things that have to do with burnout, compassion fatigue, um, depersonalization, that feeling of not being able to be efficacious in your role um, or feeling like you can't make a difference or you don't have influence to do the things that you want to do to make a difference. Um, even yeah, can I, I mean, that really did, it seemed like it would have a big factor with her because, you know, she was asked to leave or she, she had to take a leave or, or she yeah. uh, chose to leave, but then she wanted to help perhaps, but she yeah. couldn't. I think what's mm-hmm. interesting to me about burnout is just the, the term itself implies that people are the ones who burn out, that physicians burn out um, due to some sort of personal deficiency, but really it's, it's created by the systems in which we work and the demands um, placed upon ourselves with the culture that we're in, with the expectations of the system again, um, and, and just our culture, our medical culture of perfectionism and blame have led to, to this feeling. Yeah, you know, like, like you, because you know, you all are kind of looked on as really super functional human beings, and and then you know, really regularly we use the term heroes, like you're our heroes, you know, and uh, and you're you're meant to or you're expected to do these heroic things of going to work and and um, treating you know, COVID I, folks. I think it's interesting you bring that up because I've personally been trying to make sense of my feelings about. You know, okay, so like watching these videos where um, healthcare workers, you know, doctors, nurses, um, they're being applauded at 7 p.m. in cities. I mean, it's really emotionally moving. Um, and at the same time, I'm also, I feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome. I mean, we've talked about, again, we've talked about before on the show, how psychiatry is the most vilified field in medicine. So coming to this situation now um, with that sort of history is, uh, it's hard to wrap my mind around it. And I just feel like they're not clapping for me. They're not talking about me. Um, And at, at the same time, like I know that Who's treating, who's going to be treating my patients if I don't show up to work? You know, I, I'm going into the detention facilities um, uh, and treating the kids there. And I'm going into the psyche ER and treating those patients. And, you know, who knows where they're coming from? Who knows if they're going to test positive? So I, it's. Uh, That's I pretty heroic, that- Tosha. You, you, you'll get that from me for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Parks. Yeah, well, I, it's well just, I mean, it's it's pretty clear now that there's lots of uh, psychological impact of COVID-19. And who who can we turn to? You folks. I mean, can we? I mean, <laughs> we can't because like, you're, you're you're working, right? So yes, for sure. I think everybody's trying the best that they can. Exactly. Nobody the is. That I think there's so much fear. Even attendings who are working in the ICU, they're wearing scrubs like for the first time, and they're like trying. They're under new protocols every day, and they're trying to go in, and. I hear a lot of these stories because my fiance works in the ICU and it's, it's, it's weird because you think heroes know what they're doing, um, have a plan and you know, they're leading us forward. But the, I think what Tosha touched on upon imposter syndrome, I think it's, it feels like it across the board. Nobody knows what they're doing with this virus. It's, it's just a replication of one of the attendings of this feels like the HIV pandemic again, when, when that he lived through during his residency, where everybody is just so fearful and people are dying left and right and nobody knows what to do. 
And I also That's feel like calling point. us yeah. heroes is glorifying a little bit of what's happening. And I, I don't, I, no one's happy to be in this position, right? Like, right. This is hard for physicians across the U.S. No one wishes this for anyone. What, what do you with feel more comfortable with? Like, and like you know, for, for some folks, it's like, you know, thank you for your service, that kind of thing. But what do you feel comfortable with? Like, how would I thank you? Did I, you say so thank you? I was or? reading about this. Um, there was a writer. Oh gosh, I can't remember. Maybe it was the New York Times or something. And she was saying that the doctor that her friend, who's a doctor in New York, called her crying because she had intubated a patient who came in around the same age as her and minutes after intubating her the patient died and she just lost it she burst into tears she had been like holding it up until then and she was saying the same thing that she doesn't she didn't respond to like thank you for your work you are a hero she responded to like hey it's not you it's the virus and you were doing your best mm. No, that that sounds completely reasonable, you know, because I I think that you, you both are right. Where, it it there's like, what do we know about uh, the virus? About treatment? How do we know about reinfection? About you know how much antibodies you need to develop to to be to have some sort of immunity? Uh, the the test itself, there's only a, like a sixty percent, I believe. Uh, you know, accuracy. There's so many unknowns, and yet, yeah, everyone's looking to you all. To, to kind of like, well, tell us, tell us how to, you know, um, to, to act or to respond to this thing. And you, you're supposed to know what you're doing, right? Right. Now, well, um, can I, can I just, oh, sorry, I could, go ahead. I just want to emphasize the same thing. Like we'll train, you can, we're kind of training through med school and then residency, which is your specialty, right? Of, of uh, how to handle crisis when it's, it's the objective, know what to do, right? But you're saying this is something new. This is something that even some doctors in the lifetime will never see it again. It's changing rapidly. We don't have time to do the most appropriate research for, you know, either testing, a vaccine, a treatment, whatever it is, right? So because of they're already, what we talk about, they're already system that has failed medical providers and residents, right? Male doctors had the 40% increase of suicide, while females are actually at 130% increase of completing suicide based on general mm -hmm. population, right? Um, but we are trained to stay objective, and usually the, with that delayed gratification, things are going to be all right, but right now it's not the case, right? And how do we handle fear, you know, sadness, being angry, doubt, insecurity, right? Like, who do we turn to, and are we allowed to do that in the medical field or not? I, have, I, have, I want to say something, but first I want to say that if you're just tuning in and you're listening to let's get psyched on KUCR and we're talking about the mental health needs and the mental health um, kind of taxing uh, uh, kind of effect impact this is having on uh, medical professionals doctors medical students we haven't talked about medical students yet but you know I kind of want to share something just um, just you know locally that we're, we're uh, aware that med students here at, at University of California Riverside are ex extremely stressed uh, because just all med students are stressed. It's about a third from what I, I gather from the research. But there's this idea that they need to be strong and they need to have it together in order to um, continue their education, to be a good doctor. And there's also the thought that if they do get mental health treatment, that it will somehow come back to them when they obtain licensure 
or it will be a factor if there's some sort of lawsuit. They'll be asked some questions about, have you ever received counseling and therapy? So this is blocking yeah. our services. Yeah. Right, right. And so I, I feel like they're caught. They're, they're just kind of trapped. And so now we're, we're trying to like think of like, well, what can we do? We have to have these kind of general educational things that are nonspecific. And so people can kind of just get the information, get the techniques and the methods of managing anxiety and depression, but not, not it being particular to themselves. Like, what, what are your thoughts about that? I don't know. Does someone else want to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so there might not be a lot of answers to that, but I want to. I also want to say thanks. I, I guess I have a lot to say. I also want to say something to Tosha that you kind of said that you know you kind of feel this little bit of imposter syndrome compared to um, people that are working in the ER or ICUs. Um, that there was a study that j it just came out, um, a Dutch study, about how seventy-eight point four percent of psychiatrists experience some sort of a potentially traumatic event. 78.4, that's a lot. So yeah. we're talking um, physical violence, um, verbal, aggression, um, verbal aggression, completed suicides. Those were the most common work-related, you know, potential traumatic events that they experienced. And it was having an impact it, it, through their sleep, through feelings of hyperarousal. There was PTSD symptoms, post-traumatic stress symptoms. There was intrusive thinking that was interfering with their concentration. There were a lot of different things. So I, I just want to offer that to you. Have, now, have you, have you, what kind of like impactful, um, stressful things have you experienced? Is this applicable? Um, also, sorry, before we move on from that, like I just want to say, I don't think imposter syndrome is exclusive to psychiatry too. I think imposter right, syndrome totally. is something that we, I felt when I was in a, when I was a medical student, like it was your first time on the wards. So you have no idea what you're doing. And I, I talked about it with my friends who are now neurosurgeons or, um, you know, internal medicine doctors, and we, they still feel it every day. You're just following guidelines and trying to do the best you can. And you're hoping that, you know, what you're doing is helpful, but, and, there are some times when it is and you get, you know, good cases. And there are some times when it, it just flows up as much as you try to help and it doesn't work out. And every day I think we're fighting the sense like I could be better. And I, right. That's what it is. That feeling of I could do mm -hmm. better. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se. I think that driving us like that uh, keeps us, you know, reading journals. It keeps us working hard for our patients but it's a constant level of stress um, that like, it's just a high level of cortisol that I do question like how healthy it is. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a third of med students who feel stressed. I think it's 100% of med students <laughs> who feel stressed. It's a third who are willing to admit it. Most yeah. Maybe, yeah. Right. Or diagnosable anxiety conditions perhaps, yeah. A third who are willing to write it on paper. Right, right. And I have actually, I have a theory about some of this anxiety as far as treatment. But I don't know if this is the, this is the right forum to kind of get into that. But well, yeah. now I, you've got us hooked here. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes, we want well, to hear DM, it Well, DM kind of, uh, kind of sparked my uh, thinking on this and kind of just made me kind of think about how, um, see, think about how a lot of that is anxiety driven, all this activity, like this kind of alarming kind of, <gasps> wait, someone might, kill themselves or <gasps> someone might, this might happen or I might um, not be good enough. And it's, it's all this kind of uh, alarming, potential disaster driven activity mm -hmm. that in a way 
reinforces the emotion that drove it in the first place. Wait, what? Does that make sense? No. So you have what? this you have this activity that is basically motivated by anxiety. But how do we stop it and mm. still work? <laughs> what I don't know how to stop the activity. Well, I, yeah, oh, okay, being so aware of it. That well, no, that well, because well, I'm a big believer that just insight alone doesn't really help. That not 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 in and of itself, unless right. unless unless you're someone that that's how you have you have a history of that's how you change like you think of something and then you do okay. other things like you go out and you do other things i know so that's I how i change through insight yeah <laughs> well okay well then good that's all i'll just tell you right now and if you're <laughs> if you're motivated primarily by anxiety and it's causing all kinds of stress well then you change i guess but no so so basically what it, it boils down to is that you want to recognize what percentage or how much of a habit you've gotten into with being driven by anxiety because here's the problem is that if a, if a significant portion of your activity is being driven by these kind of alarmist kinds of thoughts then there's a natural tendency to that when you have a break to just zone out and just push it away and start being avoidant and so then so what is that though that's um, activity that is a very low level activity where you're not doing a lot you're not doing things that are involved in your field or involved um, with things that are, are you know, your profession. So you're, you're, that could be time where you could be practicing being motivated by another uh, a goal, another um, motivation other than anxiety. But you see the trap that that's in? Because the anxiety drove yourself to kind of accomplish all these things. And by, by, by creating all these alarmist thoughts and potential disaster and, oh, I better yeah. study this and I better do that. And what, <laughs> what might have this and what about that? And so then that's and then when you have a break, you're just like, oh, I just want out of that, not to think about those things. But I feel the answer is that you want to see it as a habit and then start developing a different way of motivating yourself. And so oftentimes when I talk to, to folks about this, they literally cannot think of another motivation does that now I'm going to ask you right now, can you think of another motivation than the way you've been motivating yourself with like this anxiety stress driven method? Yeah, I think what you're getting at is how to how we identify when all we all we know we our identity as a doctor becomes our entire life because, you know, we're studying 14 hours a day and we don't have any any interest or anything interesting besides oh, that geez. to make up our identity hey, speak for um, yourself <laughs> well you at least you have an interest in podcasts so i guess i'll give you that yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> i think that's the i think that's the call for duty hours and like um work restrictions and less call um to kind of give us that free time to develop other interests and to develop our identity outside of you know what our job yeah you know something that i just read about maybe it was the article you sent dm was that depending on how many hours you work as a resident you could be earning minimum wage yeah yes. <laughs> rob is yes. definitely working less than like someone at mcdonald's <laughs> okay oh, wow. if you work you mean like, he's earning wow. less and working harder he he's working more hours he comes in he wakes up at 5 30 he starts work at 6 and he doesn't leave the hospital until 8 a.m he makes like sixty thousand a year wow so figure out like that's a 14 hour i don't know 14 hour day i yeah i mean i think right. i and i think that um there's been some changes but not enough about um 
you know, how hard you, you know, our country is working, y'all, uh, you know, long hours in the night having to stay up late and, and, that, and that kind of thing. And just all these expectations. You're expected to be sort of superhuman. You're ex- and yes, so that's why I feel it's definitely. easier to say things, to do things like that, to set schedules like that. So and I always thought you're just going to take it. I always thought about residents that were just cheap labor, right? Because uh, to be exploited. Yeah, it, it's whether if it's that dilemma of oh, we're getting an, an education and training, or we're being exploited, or both. Can we, I ask you a question right now? Do you think that part of it is the uh, the attendings or the, the 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 more senior doctors saying, yeah, now it's time to like payback, you know? And treat, there, treat honestly, these? there yes. is some of that. There yeah, is I some of that. I knew it. Yeah. It's kind of that this thing of like, well, you know, I trained that way, so you mm-hmm. should go through the same thing, right? So Which don't. Part of yeah, it's expected. Look how expected it is. Right. Shift like the work somewhere, right? So the only way to shift the work is if we lighten the load for you, we have to take on more of that work for us, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we had to do that work. So why am I being punished again? Right. I need to be on easy street. Yeah, you you do it. Yeah, I think there's just like this pattern of like, okay, come on, guys. Like the work, somebody has to do the work. Now, can I say that I'm, I hear it from my uh, nurse uh, children that uh, they get it from residents. <laughs> that they resident, get the workload. They get the shifted workload. They, oh they, they, they have like <laughs> it trickles down. It does. Yeah. Um, S word doesn't roll upward. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. No, I, I feel but, like, uh, yeah. But what do you do? Like PSD, uh, PTSD and triggers. One thing I'm so glad about my residency is the fact that I don't have a pager. You try being on call with a pager and like, you can't, you're like sleeping on edge and then that thing beeps and like, it, it just oh, triggers totally. like all I, kinds of. Yes. I cannot that, yep. sleep restfully with a pager. No, no way. Word. I hate like when Rob is on call because I wake up with him and he's like, mm. it's like jerks awake every yeah. night. Cause you don't want to miss a page. Yeah. You can't miss a page. Oh, you cannot miss to. a page. Bad. You're going like to get 2 it. 2 a.m. It's not good. I thought, you know, isn't that one of the benefits of UCR medical school that there's no call and all that? Or UCR you mean psychiatry. Our, our psychiatry program, yes. We are the lucky ones. There are only two programs in California, psychiatry programs in California, um, that are like ours where there's no weekend um, or call. So we are very fortunate. Um, but again, only two programs in California. But this is, goes back to what do we do, right? We have to expand the, the residency or the resident workforce, improve the working hours, benefits, protection, and payment, right? So that I don't think... Okay, so, uh, uh, so you're going to approach law... I'm sorry, I, I totally talked over you, Edgar. <laughs> so, so, so we're, uh, we're going to approach lawmakers and said, look, what we need to do is we need to pay doctors more. Uh, that's gonna, not going to fly. We need to... Who's pay? It, it, I think you get paid a good amount. Well, what about the sixty thousand? Maybe just more autonomy, less less clerical less work, less clerical work. Like the working conditions, working conditions, not pay. Yes, yeah, right. Um, Things that relieve the system are like hiring scribes, um, doing okay. having, like we we push things down on medical students because they do like, you know, stuff like run labs for us and like do stuff that like has nothing to do with like thinking and our training, but is kind of just busy work. 
Okay, and, so and there's so yeah. much le- like medical legal stuff that's come into play um, to cover ourselves that you know, in terms of treating patients, isn't necessary. But in terms of protecting a healthcare system, you know, we have we have to do these things. Yeah, I feel like the selling point would be: Do you want a better quality uh, doctor? Do you want someone that is not going to burn out? That's not going to suffer from anxiety and depression? Or, oh, God forbid, a completed suicide or something like that. That's, that might be the selling point. That you, we're going to get a benefit of higher, better health care and um, uh, a higher quality, basically. I would imagine so. I mean, I don't want my doctor who's going to perform surgery on me to have been up for the last 24, 48 hours. Right. Well, that's going to be the last word, Tosha. Um, because we talked about uh, yes. suicide, <laughs> got it again. Um, if you're a student that's seeking help, please call UCR's Counseling and Psychological Services at 951-827-5531. Or if you're not a student in the, and living in the Riverside area, call the Riverside Helpline at 951-686-4357. Today we talked about the mental health condition of doctors and medical students. Thank you, co-host Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Dr. D.M. Wynn, Dr. Edgar Ortega. You can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, Spotify, Apple, whatever. And if you have comments or suggestions, you can write to us at getpsyched on KUCR at gmail.com. That's getpsyched on KUCR at gmail.com. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fon. So special thanks goes out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.